Hey, good morning, church. I uh, feel like my blood's pumping this morning. You guys awake? Um, there's pro- this thing is probably just coated with loogies in the back. So <clears throat> There we go. All done with that. Hey, I think we have lost the ability to be lost. I don't know if it's something you've ever thought about, um, but I don't think we know how to be lost anymore. Um, when I first went to college, my, my university was about three hours from where I grew up. And uh, my, my parents had blessed me with the family car, and I drove this 97 four-cylinder silver Toyota Camry. You know, four cylinders, 36 miles to the gallon. I was roaring down the highway. And my first time coming home from college, I got lost. Uh, coming home, and of course, like, this still happens today. When grown-ups give directions, they use road numbers and street names. And I love grown-ups that can do that, but I'm not a grown-up that can remember numbers, like, at all. Whether it's math or not, 64, like, might as well be in Egypt. I don't know. So coming home, my, I'm calling my dad, because I do have a cell phone, and that was one of those LG flip phones, you know what I'm saying? Like, you pro- there are probably still some running today. Um, and, like, I'm on the phone with my dad. He's like, where are you? I said, I don't know. I think I just saw a sign for Charlottesville. And he's like, well, you didn't get off. Like, you just stayed on the road for, like, too long. I'm like, I didn't know. Like, how do I get home from here? He's like, I don't know what to tell you. Um, and I don't even remember how he got me back to where I was going. But guess what I got for Christmas that year? A GPS! It was delightful. It was one of those Garmin things that like suction cup to the window. And you know what? I lost the ability to get lost. Because <clears throat> I was probably of the last generation that that can happen to. Now we have GPS in our cell phones, and our cell phones are surgically attached to our hands, and so we cannot ever again be lost. Lord, help us if we ever find a place where there is no signal. It hasn't happened in America yet, but I imagine it could. Um, I think we've lost the ability to get lost because... <sighs> Do you remember those days? Like, some of us are old enough to, to remember those days, but there's a different kind of panic when you realize, I have no idea where I am. I have no idea how to get to where I'm going. And I don't know if the people around here are gonna be nice to me to point me in the right direction. And nowadays we can just like open up the phone. (laughs) Myron's trying to get lost right now. He's running away. we, we, we just, like, there's this comfort that, that Uncle Google will always be able to guide us home. And, and I don't know if maybe losing the ability to be lost, we've given ourselves a disadvantage to understanding some biblical principles and some wisdom that can help guide and direct our lives. And I want to explore that together with you with some stories that I think are going to be familiar if you spent any kind, of, any kind of time in a church setting at all. Um, I'm gonna, we're going to begin to read these stories together, and you're going to go, oh, I know this one. Oh, I know this one. Oh, I know this one. And I get it. Like, things can be familiar, but let us not let that familiarity with it keep us from the intimacy with God that he wanted to point us towards today. So if you've been around the, the, a church at all, you've heard the term lost 
We've got to go get the lost. We've got to find the lost. Jesus came for the lost. And I have never, in, in my church career, growing up in a church um, and, and now um, ministering in a church, I've never, ever asked the question, who are the lost? Like, it's kind of one of those things where we think we know the answer, but if you were, asked the, if you were to ask the question, you couldn't give a definition of the word. And so I'd like for us to explore these familiar stories together and ask them in a way that we can come up with a definition that's helpful for us to identify who are the lost and then how are they found and what does that mean. So I'd invite you to join me together on this journey. Um, We are going to be going through it for the next couple of weeks, about four weeks, and uh, we're going to begin... Uh, in Luke chapter 15, but before you turn there, before you turn there, I'd like to invite you to pray together with me that God would meet us here in these moments, that his will would be done in our hearts, and that he would give us what we need just for today. Would you pray together with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Um, Just as a, a, a quick pastoral reminder, as we're going into our week, whatever happens this week, does not change the truth of God's word or the attitude that God has in this prayer that he has left for us. Whatever election day holds for us, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. So that one's free. That has nothing, that's not in my notes, but that one's free. Okay, so we're going to look together in Luke chapter 15, um, and we're going to begin in verse 1. If you'd like to open your Bibles... If you want to use a blue Bible that's here in the chairs, either tucked underneath your chair or the chair in front of you, it's on page 1091, Luke chapter 15, or navigate there in your favorite device, Luke chapter 15. And I'm going to begin in verse 1. <clears throat> now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. So let's... Let's pause together and, uh, and, and look at this. You will, if you're not familiar with these verses, uh, you're likely familiar with the song that's been on the radio based upon these verses that's called Reckless Love. 
And um, I, I love the sentiment of that song. It's a very emotional song. It, it, it is one that we have considered using here and chosen not to um, for a very, like a very kind of a simple reason. And this is one of those things that I feel silly about, but it's things that get stuck in my head. The, the attitude of that song is God is reckless in his love towards us that he would leave the 99 and pursue the one, but that's actually the opposite point to what Jesus is making here. See, he's, he's teaching and he's preaching and, and sinners and, and tax collectors are coming to him and the Pharisees, the church people, the church leaders, the people who are familiar with the law go, I can't believe this guy. Not only does he like talk, he receives sinners, but he's also eating with them. He's fellowshipping with them. He's inviting them into his family. He receives and he eats with sinners. I can't believe that. And so he tells this story that if you had a hundred sheep, and one got lost, of course you would chase down the one and bring him back. You'd leave the 99 who were safe and go and chase down the one who is lost. Like, and the point that Jesus is making is that's not a reckless love. That makes perfect sense to you. Like, we don't have sheep. Um, we don't really chase them around because uh, we don't have any. Um, but there are, there's, there are things that we have that we have... Like if, if um, I, I can relate to this because uh, I've got six children. Um, if one of them wanders off, <laughs> uh, I'm going to leave the ones that I know where they're at. I'm going to attach them to something like stay to this card, stay to this thing. And I'm going to go and find the other one. And I can remember a time where we were the market of Marion and it was always Grant. And Lord bless him, uh, I don't have his permission to share this story. But it just has always been a thing that if we're going to lose a child, it's going to be Grant. And so as we're walking around, anytime we're in a crowd, the question isn't like, do we have all the kids? The question is, where's Grant? And I can remember one time being in the market of Marion and we were walking around and we had brought a wagon. For, I don't remember what we were getting. We had come prepared to shop. <laughs> and uh, we were walking around with our wagon and I don't remember what we were buying, but I look around and I'm like, oh man, where's Grant? <laughs> and so then we got to figure out how we do this. Like, do we split up all the kids and tell them to go and try and find them and then do, like have a central gathering? Like, what do we do? Like, no, I leave them all in one place where I know how to find them and I go and I find Grant and I don't know what he had been looking at, but he just got distracted by a shiny thing and he followed that thing and so there, there we go and I went and found him. Like, that makes sense, right? If we have a group of something and something gets lost, we're going we're gonna to keep the things that are safe kind of together, and we're going to go and find the one that's lost. And Jesus says, this makes perfect sense. If something gets lost, you're going to go after it. And when you find it, you're not just going to, like, find it and be like, thank you. Oh, my gosh. I'm grabbing him by his ear, like, like, Ugh, you're in so much trouble, mister. Now that I've found you, you're going to wish I never had. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to beat you. Like, no, no, no. It's just like, Grant's here. Like, we, we don't have to call child services again. Like, no, no, no. We're gonna, we can rejoice together. We can have a celebration that we found the one that is lost, and we can eat uh, funnel cake or whatever we ended up getting. Like, we, we celebrate when we find something, right? This makes perfect sense. And, and, he, and he brings it to the point in verse 7. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So he's telling a parable, which is uh, a story that we're familiar with on earth that highlights a spiritual truth in heaven. He says, you guys are familiar with sheep. I'm going to tell you a story about sheep so that you can understand a principle and how it relates to people. He's not actually talking about sheep when he talks about somebody wandering off. It's really easy to find a picture of a sheep wandering off, though, and 
he's saying, like, this is the picture, but the thing that is true is this is about people. And he, he, he closes this with a very interesting phrase, and one that caused me to pause and chew on a bit this week, and maybe it stuck out to you. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And I thought to myself, who is that? Who needs no repentance? Like, man! Uh, There's some things I could say that would get me in trouble, and I don't mean to offend where it's not necessary, so I won't. Who are the people who need no repentance? And I'm wondering, I suspect, that this is kind of a sideways jab at the Pharisees who are kind of grumbling and complaining. Like, why is this guy hanging out with, why is he receiving these sinners into his family? He's like, yeah, if you don't need any repentance, like, cool, you're safe. Like, I don't really need to pay much attention to you. Like, you go do your own business. Like, I'm, not, I'm not here for you. I'm out seeking the ones who are lost. If you don't have any need for repentance, like, good on you. I'm glad your hands are clean. And that's why we read together from, from verse John, 1 John, chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. If anyone says he's without sin, he's a liar. If, if we say that we walk with God, but we walk in darkness, then we're fooling ourselves. But if we confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive us. Like, if we, if we agree with God that the things that are in our lives that are sinful attitudes, that are selfish, that are self-serving, if we agree with him, confess that those things are sinful, then he's faithful to forgive. In fact, we should model our forgiveness off of his forgiveness. So do we have a need for Repentance. Like, it seems, seems kind of like a silly question to ask. Do we have a need for repentance? And if we have a need for repentance, how does that shape our attitude as we're navigating the world? Do we kind of stomp around like we know what's going on, like we've got all the answers and, and we're here to dish them out to anybody who's, who will stop long enough to listen to us holler at them? Or do we have a humble posture that says, oh, God, like, if you hadn't pulled me out of that mess, I would still be stuck in it. If, if it wasn't for your light, I wouldn't be able to see the darkness that I was in before. I thought I knew what life was because I was born into it and, and I just kind of operated in the way that was natural to me. But now that I've been brought into your light, I can see the darkness more clearly. Everything is brought into relief. I can see the contrast of what you were doing in my life. And I was dead without you and I'm just so grateful and so... I have some revelation, I have some insight, I have some light that I can share with other people, but I, man, if I was lost that, if I was that lost before, like, maybe I'm not the perfect one, and maybe I can approach walking together with others humbly. Do we have a need for repentance? Let's continue reading, because uh, his parable is not yet over. Luke chapter 15, verse 8. Or what woman, 
Having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So he's not talking about coins, but he's talking about coins. He's talking about people. He says, look, if you lost, if you lost a chunk of change, uh, a day's, uh, probably talking about a day's worth of work. If you lost that couple hundred dollars, wouldn't you go looking for it? If you misplaced a check, you'd be going through your papers. You'd be, you'd be organizing papers you haven't thought about in a decade. You'd be in that filing. Like, did I stick it in here? Did it fall in there somewhere? Like, what, what happened to this? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean the whole house. Like, it's going to be spotless. I'm going to go in the corners, and I'm going to sweep those out. Like, I'm going to get things organized because I need the dough. He says, look, in the same way, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There is something that is lost, that has been found, and there's a celebration. And here's the big idea. And we're going to spend a couple more minutes unpacking some of the truth. Because I feel like in church on Sunday, this is digestible. Like we can kind of, we can kind of take this idea in and not chew on it. And I'm going to invite you to chew on it with me a little bit. To ask some obvious questions so that maybe we can understand more about the heart of what's going on here. The, the, the big idea is that the lost are sought out by heaven and their return is celebrated. The lost, whoever they may be, the lost are sought out by heaven with a capital H and their return is celebrated. We come to the world and have to figure out how to operate within the world that we end up in. Each of us comes from a different family, and the skills that we learned within that family to navigate the world that we found ourselves in are different. And there are some things that we have just assumed are normal and that God tries over and over to show, like, that's not the way it was meant to be. The lost are sought out by heaven. There is a good shepherd that goes out to find the lost, and when he finds them, he rejoices. There's a, a, a woman who's cleaning the house and searching diligently to find the lost. The lost are sought out by heaven. And you might say, like, I'm just a normal person. Like, there's no, heaven has never come looking for me. There's never been any kind of angel to show up in my living room. Like, heaven isn't looking for me. I'm just living my life. I'm just keeping my head down. I'm just trying to make ends meet. I'm just trying to pay the bills. I'm just trying to keep my kids from making my hair go gray. Like, uh, heaven is not looking for me. But it is. The lost are sought out by heaven. And sometimes... Heaven sends a representative. We, we look at the world and we go, like, heaven isn't looking for me. I'm not on heaven's radar. It doesn't matter. And yet Christ came and died to purchase a way for you to be reconciled to God. Like, heaven is hunting us down. And sometimes, heaven looks like Janet. Praying diligently for her neighbors and her friends. And sometimes, heaven looks like Rodlin 
inviting her friends into the faith community, and sometimes heaven looks like Sarah. Like if heaven is seeking out the lost, and we're following Jesus, like he's using us. Like we get to be those representatives. We get to be the ones out in the field who are looking for the sheep that's wandered off. And their return is celebrated. It's a big deal. There's a church word that I've used a couple of times, and I haven't defined um, because we're familiar with it. And I've used a couple of terms interchangeably that aren't. In 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. And confession is really just an agreement. Like, God, you say this thing's a sin, and I agree with you that it is a sin. And that's good as far as it goes. Like, right? It's good when our kids agree with us that what they're doing is wrong. But when they get that steely look in their eye, like, I'm going for it anyway! Get out of my way, Dad! It doesn't matter if you confessed it, right? (laughs) And the term that Jesus uses here is, is repentance. When one sinner repents. So it's not just agreeing with God that the thing you say in my lives are sin. Like, I'm not just agreeing with you, but I'm repenting. I'm turning away from those things. I'm forsaking those things, and I'm pursuing you. Agree with God and reject the things that are killing us. That is repentance. And that is something to be celebrated. Well, we repent when we see our need. Like, do we have a need for repentance? And if we answer that question in the affirmative, we answer that question and say, yeah, I have a need to, to repent. I ha- there are some things in my heart Man, when I get put in the times of testing, they just come right out. I have need for repentance. And will we repent as we see our need? We clean up pretty good. Sunday's a nice time together. But I suspect that the darkness that I find in my heart also resides in yours in one form or another. And I am not always quick to repent of those things. And so it seems kind of silly for a pastor to say, are you going to, are we, will we repent as we see our need? That seems kind of silly. Of course we will, pastor. We're here on Sunday. We know how this works. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm glad you can do it on a Sunday. I'm asking you about Tuesday morning. Thursday night. Because if, if, if we don't walk it out there, then this is a show. But the lost are sought out by heaven, and their return is celebrated. So, I told you we'd ask some obvious questions. Who are the lost? Um, there's some things to think about that I hadn't really considered until here recently. In order to be lost, you first must have belonged. We take for granted in Jesus' story that there's 99 sheep, and one of the sheep wandered off. We, we can take for granted that she's got uh, a number of coins, 10 silver coins, and one wanders off. Because in my house, a kid moved it, but this one probably didn't. You know? We take for granted that there were 10, there were 100, like that was a set group like, of course, and then one got lost. And then we try to find ourselves in the story. But, but 
In order to have been lost, you must first have belonged. And so when we're talking about people, when we look at people created in the image of God, our first approach to people must be that they belong in the family of God. The world isn't how it was meant to be. Jesus is in the process of restoring it, of recreating it. He's trying to set the things that are broken to be fixed. He is setting the things that were wrong right. Like things are not the way they're meant to be. And people who are far from God belong with God. Maybe that's you. And you say, like, I'm just kind of doing this church thing. These church people make me a little bit uncomfortable. I'm not really into that game. But hey, you belong with God. That is how it was meant to be from the beginning. And we can get so distracted by, by, by the things that would divide us. We can be distracted by nitpicking one another that we completely miss this. That we belong in the family and it's not because we've got to pick our adoption papers. We belong in our family because that's how God made things to be. He started with, with Adam and Eve. Like we're all in the same family regardless of what flag you're flying. The lost must first belong in order to have been lost. And so regardless of what our internal reaction is when we see a rainbow flag, or when we see a confederate flag, or when we see the thin blue line flag, or a Black Lives Matter flag, regardless of what our first heart response is, I think we first need to realize that in order to be lost, however you may disagree with anybody who is carrying those flags, in order to be lost, you must first belong, and God starts with belonging. The lost are sought out by heaven, and their return is celebrated. We belong with God, but the return to God also is a return to the community. We not only belong with God, but we belong with the people of God. The sheep that was found came back to be with the other 99. And the sheep that was found didn't necessarily, like, there's a reason he ran away. Maybe they were picking on him. I don't know. And he's got to come back in and, and try to be a part of that flock. And that's hard, especially if you've run away and, and made decisions to separate yourself. Like, I, those are things I don't identify with. It's not stuff that is me. And yet God goes and finds us and brings us back to the thing that we left. Which may mean that in order to be accepting to the loss that are coming back, that we need to be understanding and compassionate. We need to spend some time listening I thought for a long time that I could get things squared away with God and just ignore the people that represented him to me. It's kind of a monk attitude. I'm going to go stand on a pole in a desert, which isn't to say like the dudes that did that have nothing to offer us or nothing to teach us, but just to say like that isolation of like I can just get things with me and God right and everybody else can just do what they're going to do. I don't need them. They're not going to affect me. But I can't get away from when I read the scripture, that God works within spiritual communities. And part of getting right with God 
is being reconciled to his family. I'm not saying that's easy. In fact, I feel like it'd be easier if we could just write each other off, right? You do you is a real convenient model, but it's not very biblical. And our only hope lies in Jesus. If we confess our sins, he is the one who is faithful and just to forgive us. Heaven rejoices when we repent. And so the obvious questions, do we have a need for repentance? And will we repent as we see our need? Further, will we be joined to the other sinners who have been found by heaven? Because for some reason, God does that to us. And furthermore, I just have a lot of questions. I feel like we can work through these together as a family. Will we be the hands and feet of heaven seeking out the lost? To some degree, it feels like it's just us out there doing our thing. But as Jesus describes it, it seems like we're the agents of heaven. Normal though we are. Faulted though we are. Graciously loved and forgiven though we are. Will we be the hands and feet of heaven seeking out the lost? Because the lost are sought out by heaven. And their return is celebrated. You pray together with me. Jesus, these stories are familiar to us. Um, I can think of a thousand sermons I've heard of them. And yet, as often as we return to your words, they cut us in a new way. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your kindness, your graciousness that remembers the way things were meant to be and that labors to restore them to better than new. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. So Lord, would you bring to mind our need for repentance, and would you shape our hearts to repent as we see our need? To agree with you that what is broken in us is sin, and to reject the things that are killing us. We need your grace. We need your spirit to lead us in this as we work on it personally and internally, as we work it out together as a church family, as we try to shine your light to our neighbors, to invite them to follow you. God, we need you. And so it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.